Thank you so much, Mitsan, for, for joining me today. I, I, I super appreciate you taking the time. I, I'm really excited to talk about your journey, just reading your background. You've already done some incredible things. And uh, with Climb Higher, it looks like you're, you're on pace to kind of do even do even more incredible things. But before we talk about Climb Higher, let's talk about your background and sort of your mission and vision uh, and path to sort of to get to this point, it looks like it might have started maybe being an entrepreneur in residency at LinkedIn is kind of maybe where a lot of this idea for Climb Higher came to be, but start wherever you want. Well, four years ago, I was an entrepreneur in residence at LinkedIn. And when I was there, they put a referral button on their platform. Mm. And what they learned by doing that was that the vast majority of job seekers were getting jobs through referrals. And I had never really thought about like, where have all my jobs come from in my life? And where you know, are all the opportunities that I've been afforded, that I've been afforded, where have they come from? But I start to think about it and I realize I've never I've never applied for a job before in my life. Wow. Right? It was one one relationship after wow. the next, after the next. And um, as much as I so deeply want to be unique in the world, um, I realized how distinctly ununique I was. That so many people get jobs through a warm relationship and through warm connections. And if that's true, then um, and that's what the LinkedIn data really proved out, then I start to question like, well, where do networks come from? Like, where do people build these warm relationships? And, you know, if you grow up in an affluent neighborhood, you know, you hear all these stories about parents like putting their, you know, kids on waiting lists for fancy preschools even before they're conceived, you know. And that's really about parents purchasing networks for kids at mm, young ages. Yeah. Um, and then there's kind of the next era for where networks and relationships get built, which is usually in college. And when you live in a four-year liberal arts you know, institution where you're in dorms and you're singing in the acapella club and you're playing lacrosse and you've joined a frat and you're you know, part of a, you know, the newspaper or whatever, you're building relationships by spending hundreds and hundreds of hours with friends in this kind of coming of age period of life. Well, the vast majority of Americans, specifically low-income Americans, specifically people of color, don't usually get those opportunities. College is becoming more and more of a sorting mechanism for wealth. And, and it's just unaffordable to so many people in our society. And so what a lot of people end up doing is they go to community college and they kind of jump into class, jump out to go work, to go take care of family members. And, you know, they're not building meaningful, lasting friendships and relationships um, because to do that, you need time and time is a luxury yeah. good. Yep. Time takes a lot that you know if you if you don't if you don't have the the yoke of needing to work while you're in that 18 to 22 range you know then then you can build um those things but if you do then you don't have that you don't have that luxury so um i start to then think okay so what happens to those people either sometimes they drop out of school because of other life circumstances whatever it is and so then they mostly start to apply to retail jobs and, you know, Uber, Lyft, nannying, whatever it is, but jobs that are generally paying below living wage. And my hypothesis was that there's all this hidden and overlooked talent, people who are smart and gritty and motivated and driven, but just don't have that social capital to break into a middle class um, or, you know, middle family wage sustaining career. Yep. And so I thought, if we could find that hidden and overlooked talent and we could help them build some of those in-demand skills and also help them build social capital at the same time, then they would have the 
capacity to, you know, double or triple their income over time. And then, and we could build an alternative to an Ivy League network. We could build a network of people who are coming from retail, coming from kind of these overlooked backgrounds, but then, you know, build a thriving network of, of comprised of that community. Amazing. I, I love this is... I went to a ton of different schools. I never, I didn't go to sort of tra- traditional college route, right? So I, I didn't have again that network. You kind of, you're very lost when you're kind of going to school and then going to work at night. Or I worked overnight and then went to school in the morning, so I, I looked really rough <laughs> as I'm walking into to class. And but you also then don't have the energy to like go and get con- create connections and even go and network, right? Because your your energy, mental capacity is already taken up by work school and I didn't have a child, but most people do that and have a, have children as well or a child, right? And it's like the, the mental energy to even network, right? Or to even build that ecosystem of people that could propel you later in life is, is difficult. And so I think this is an amazing opportunity and an organization that you're that you're building. So talk a little bit about Climb Higher, sort of what exactly it is and sort of the mission and vision. We want to serve two markets at the same time. We want to serve employers who say that they want to diversify their talent, but oftentimes complain that they can't find diverse talent. And we want to find hidden and overlooked talent and serve them up to those very employers that say that that's what they're looking for. Um, So we want to solve two problems at the same time, which is to bridge the gap between finding talent and hiring talent. And we also want to create economic opportunity and mobility um, for people that have historically been sort of left behind in our society through through the work of Climb Hire. And so when we take, let's say people are coming from jobs that that are low wages, they're sort of basically a job you're just trying to get to the next day, right? You're, you're sort of surviving. So maybe you don't have the time and ability to, you know, train yourself and, and teach yourself and even, you know, go on YouTube and take courses and stuff like that around certain things. How does, does, does Climb Hire help, I guess, people gain those skill sets, right? Because even if you have the companies and, and you have individuals, there still might be some sort of a, a skill gap. They might be talented, but they need a specific skill. Is, is there like training involved? Like how, how does that part work? and actually getting people the skill sets they need. Do you guys work with other organizations or you do that? that? We we do all that training. Nice. So we started out um, training people up on the Salesforce administrator certification. That's a really great um, economic mobility machine. We found that most of the people in our program were coming in earning less than 30,000. The average salary is upward of 50,000. And, you know, with even just a year or two of experience, right. you can be making in the 80s, 90s, hundreds. Um, so it's a really great certification. Um, we started teaching that about three years ago. Um, and then since then, we've layered on a few others. Um, we've done a, one in sales. We've done um, a project management certification. We've done one in financial services. We're launching one um, this spring in digital marketing and have you know a few others that we're kind of cooking up. But it's really based on where is their demand that we see in the economy and also where can somebody that doesn't have experience kind of be an on, in a space to on-ramp into that you know new entry-level job. The hardest thing we find is that for people that don't have relevant past experience is kind of crossing that experience chasm. And so we work on helping them build social capital and relationships alongside of those in-demand skills so that they can be networking for opportunities. Because when people, you know, when you know people, it makes a difference. How can, I guess, 
two questions if you want to answer. How do people currently like find Climb Higher, right? Or how do you go outbound wise and, you know, seek members that would be great for this platform, right? Great for these the skill trainings. Like how I guess how does currently now and maybe in the future people get to know Climb Higher? Are you working with, you know, even local municipalities, governments, other organizations where, you know, you're sort of the go-to when people are looking, searching for this? Yeah. I mean, mostly we use the internet. <laughs> so yeah, sure. Um, social media, you know, all the various platforms, TikTok, Facebook, um, Reddit. For a while, we were also posting um, the opportunity on Indeed and, and many people found mm-hmm. but for complicated reasons. We're, we're don't, we don't do that anymore, but mostly social media. And then once climbers have had, you know, um, success in the program and they've gone from being a frontline cook um, at a cafeteria to working at IBM yeah. or something like that, they oftentimes will refer other climbers um, as well. So peer referral peer referrals. Um, We have a lot of positive reviews on Glassdoor um, and on Indeed. And so people, you know, find us um, as well. I wanted to go a little bit of, go back a little bit when you were the sort of entrepreneur in residence at LinkedIn and sort of what what did you learn there and sort of the, the skill sets or, or, or maybe even the network you built there had to be amazing. But I guess, what did you learn from there that really, you know, maybe it's things you, you kind of knew and you just got better at it or other you know, skill sets that you didn't even kind of know existed that you all of a sudden obtained just from working in an environment like that. What was that like for you? It was phenomenal. Um, I, you know, I I definitely made some really wonderful friends there. I I got a chance to look at a lot of like the macroeconomic data and microeconomic data. One of the questions that, you know, that I was asking four years ago was like, there's there's a lot of, there's a proliferation of these certifications now. And four years ago, there was like 350,000 different certifications that you could take. And today there's over a million, like they've yeah. just grown like weeds, right? And my mom, you know, sometimes we call them Mickey Mouse degrees, like which ones are really credible and yeah. which ones yeah. are kind of bogus, you know? And I would, I, I definitely approached the chief economist at, at LinkedIn at the time and said, you know, could we analyze on the platform? platform, like just based on like how many people like say, like, I just finished this certification right. and then you look at like if there's income changes, you know, things like that. So those are the kinds of things that LinkedIn, you know, has the ability to do because the data is like at their fingertips when you have so many millions of people that are on the platform and are, you know, tracking their their job titles, their wages, all those things. So I, I really appreciated that. The other thing that I got from my time there was that had a really profound impact on me was a presentation that I got to sit through that was actually from the chief economist at Facebook, or now known as Meta. And Mm -hmm. they they were exploring this concept called Homophily. Hmm. Homophily is the idea that when people have similarities, they then have almost instantaneous trust. So there's like a lot of shortcuts for how people like talk this way, but, oh, you played lacrosse? Me too. You know, and then you almost like, almost instantaneously like have this connection. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's it's what happens. It's what happens in human nature. When I was nine months pregnant, I was a you know a, a serial entrepreneur, and I was I just started a company not long before. <laughs> the last thing I had I had time for was to you know uh, do all the research on what stroller to buy and what car seat to buy. <laughs> but you know I wrote to my mom friends and was like, what do I buy? And they just like told me the names and I bought them. No no research, no thinking. Right? We take the recommendations 
recommendations and referrals of the people that we trust. And there's code switching or code naming that we have to build that trust almost instantaneously with people that oftentimes look like us and are similar to us. So what Facebook did is it looked to see how many people went out and bought an iPhone that was a very specific kind like the, and they posted it on Facebook. Like I just bought the Galaxy 13 or whatever it was. And right. how many people in their friend network then bought the exact same phone? And the answer was a st- statistically significant number of people bought the same phone. And you can kind of extrapolate, right? It's the story of like the, the, st- the strollers and the carriages and all that stuff. Like of my story, it's like we trust the people and then we go do what they do. Well, that happens in hiring too. So, mm. you know, Grant, you and I are now buddies. If I yep. called you tomorrow and said, hey, like I see you've got a job up opening, you know, I got somebody f- that I think would be perfect. You'd take that person seriously and right. you'd interview them and, and you'd already come into that interview sort of warm. Well, that happens every day for people that go to Stanford, that go to Harvard, that go to, you know, they're just referring each other all day long. And when the yeah. hiring manager went to Stanford and they're talking to somebody, sure. else, all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's already instantaneous trust because I know this person. Well, if they come from a you know poor neighborhood, if they come from you know maybe a disadvantaged community of some kind, and they don't have all that homophily, it's hard to like break through it and and still like sort of like sparkle and shine. And so we teach the art of that at Climb Higher. We help climbers build homophily with each other, mm-hmm. and then homophily with alumni of the organization, and then attempts at homophily with people that don't look like them and don't come from their same backgrounds. And I you know I watched a climber bond with a higher manager about the fact that they both lost their mothers to breast cancer. And uh, like that created homophily, even though, you know, they didn't come from similar backgrounds. And so I think we don't, we, we underestimate the power of similarity and likeness as a part of the hiring process. And we're trying to like unearth and upend some of that. Amazing. When climbers come on board, what's the the process like, like for them, I, I guess the, the time dedication needed. Again, if busy, they're still going to have to probably, you know, work and take care of other things. Like everybody is busy and attempting to do a sort of a career shift is demanding, you know, or it, it can be. I guess what is the, the time dedication, whether it's per day, per week, like how many weeks is the program? And then how many, I guess, are in sort of a cohort or is it just sort of ongoing all the time? Um, The cohorts are synchronous because the whole idea is that you're building community and relationships. Mm -hmm. And so you can't really do that if you're all learning different things at at different times, right? Yeah. So so we usually have around 100 to 200 people in a cohort. Um, We expect that people are going to be working while they're in our program because the definition for eligibility to our program is that you need to be earning below livable wage. So generally people are earning below 40,000 oftentimes less than that. And we run all of our programs at night so that people can work during the day. It's six hours of class time a week, usually twice a week for three hours each chunk. And then there's generally about 10 hours of homework. So it's not for the fainted heart. It's a commitment. It's a serious yeah. commitment. Sure. But that's what employers love because essentially what we've done is we've vetted people for their grit, their tenacity, their aptitude by you know putting them through a five or six month program like this where they're you know working at the Amazon warehouse, they're you know, stocking right. shelves at target. And then they're, you know, layering on another 15, 20 hours on top of that of learning, you know, it says a lot. Yeah, it says a lot. Every employer wants gritty, hardworking Mm -hmm. people like who's more gritty than that. I don't work those hours, you know. So um, I think that 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 tells our employers a lot. Going to the employers for a second, because they're they're important part in this ecosystem. I I guess when 
when you're doing like sort of the, whether it's Salesforce training or, or the Google project management training or, or the sales training, how do you pull that curriculum in? Some of these certification programs, the ones that are not the Mickey Mouse certifications, yeah. um, you know, that are that are really rigorous and robust, they they come with a with a test at the end of it that you have to take in order to be certified. So sure. we really are preparing people for the Salesforce administrator certification, which is kind of like the base layer for, you know, any certification that you would need in that ecosystem. And Almost every company in the in the world needs um, buy, buy some sort of CRM licensing, um, yep. uh, you know, client relationship management licensing. Most of them come from Salesforce, but certainly there's other competitors, and they're and they need somebody who knows how to like use the system. And so that's what we train people up to do. You know, again, it, these are complex systems; they're hard to manage. And so I wouldn't say that anyone um, you know is going to come out of our program in 24 weeks and be like an expert and a master, right? Um, yep. But they've proven themselves to a point of, you know, having that base layer and and then, you know, a company can hire them and then they can grow um, from there and they kind of de-risk some of the hiring because they've done a lot of that initial work with us. But everyone wants experience and that's always the eternal quagmire um, is like, how do you get experience when you don't have experience and everyone has to start somewhere. So I would say that that's the, the biggest challenge is like, how do we help our people cross that experience chasm? I want to switch it real quick to, you know, being, you know, sort of a founder of whether it's a for-profit or nonprofit, you know, your journey into, you know, starting something and building something. What's that journey been like for you? What has some of the the ups and downs been like, but also maybe some some tips and advice from lessons learned that, that you could share? I mean, I, I, this is the third organization I've built in the last 20 years. So I guess I do have like a serial entrepreneur. Tr- yeah. All of a sudden you're a serial, <laughs> you wake up, now you're one. Um, and I, you know, this building this one in particular, like there is a lot of serendipity in it. I, you know, I, I had these ideas when I was at LinkedIn and I was like, I, I think we need to build a workforce organization that has social capital in it. And no one's really doing that. And yep. I think I have a model for how to do that. And the alumni will come back and they'll train the next set of people and they'll bring their social capital. And there's like all these like thoughts that I had. And then, you know, I just, I ended up at the right dinner with the right person. And, you know, it was a, somebody that was a peer of somebody in my network and they had access to somebody who was very wealthy. And he, he you know, he told me, to write a one pager to him about this idea that I was pontificating about out loud. And yeah. a month later, he came back to me and said, like, okay, this, you know, very wealthy person is going to give you a million dollars to start the organization. And, wow. and you have to go raise another million against it, which was pretty relatively simple to do because, or not simple, it's never simple, but it was easier because there was a lot of already social capital um, in this first investor. And I, you know, I just remember like rolling over, you know, at 6am to my husband and being like, I guess I'm starting another organization. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, but I mean, but this one is the most joyous, um, I've ever gotten to build. And a big part of it is just because, um, one, I think, you know, when you're building something for the first time and the second time, like there's just a lot of what yeah. do I do? <laughs> like, yeah. And, you know, by the time you get to the third, like, you know, the problems start to look similar. <laughs> so, but the, I think the other part is like the impact is really clear mm. um, yeah. and people right. get middle-class so. jobs and they write you notes and they say like, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for this organization and yeah. I want to help other people. And um, there's just so much residual joy that comes from it. And then, and oftentimes like the climbers will say like, you know, why do you like this work so much? Like, why do you care about me? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, do you have any, like, have you helped anybody in your life and and do you see them succeeding? And like, how does that feel for you? Mm-hmm. Like, it feels great. Like, yeah, it feels great to see the <laughs> 
Like what else gives you more meaning and purpose? And it's not just for me. It's like, I want them to help each other succeed. And so we build in all of these ways that they can do that. They're each other's accountability partners. They learn in pods together. They become alumni of the program and they come back and they teach the next set of people as fellows and they refer each other into jobs. And so everyone's helping everyone. Like that's part of the ethos and the value system of this community. And I just, as a result of that, like it's very joyous. And and the other thing that I would say is like, I have a really deep belief in human cap in, in the potential of humans. And, and then I oftentimes believe that we aren't always, we aren't always achieving our, 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 our highest levels of human potential. And oftentimes we get messages from people in our lives, like yeah. parents, educators, like, and not because anyone's malicious, but just, you know, that make us think that we're not as good as we could be, or we don't have as much capacity as we could. And like, we just, we say to people, like, we believe, we believe in you. And when we say that huge things come of it, and then people see themselves differently. I'll kind of end on uh, uh, two, a couple questions here. One would be, I guess, what has, is the data been so far as far as like people getting, you know, hired as far as like, hey, if we had this many people come and, and finish and get certified, yeah. you know, I, I guess it, what's their chances of actually, you know, getting hired, whether it's in the first 30 days, 60 days, nine, I guess, what's the process for them when they're done? You know, they're, they're probably pretty excited, pretty hyped, but also like worn out because it is intense. What's at the end of the rainbow for them? Like what's, what does the data say their chances are sort of getting? The data is pretty clear that it's very hard to break into an industry you have no experience in. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah sure. Um, so I would say it's hard, but that's why I think our formula matters so much. Just the, like learning the art of relationship building and then learning the lexicon that comes from, again, also like middle class, like corporate speak is also a part of it. Like just mm-hmm. how do you interview and talk about KPIs and your outcomes and where you exhibited leadership and, you know, how you were a problem solver. Like this is, these are not necessarily like terms and, and things that people in our community are naturally familiar with. And we Mm -hmm. teach all of those things so that they can be successful in these interview processes. So we never know where a job is going to come from. Climb Hire has a team of people who are what we call on our talented employer partnerships team. So they're building relationships with employers all the time um, and helping them resource our, our and pipeline our talent to them. We um, we encourage the climbers to um, network like hell um, with people in our community, the alumni of our community. But also we um, have four or five different events during the time that they're in the program mm-hmm. where they get to meet middle class professionals, people who work at Facebook or Google or work. Workday or LinkedIn, and they get to socialize nice. with them, and they get yeah. to build. They get to tell their stories and get feedback about it, or do mock interviews. But in that process, they're building social capital. So we've seen people's doors get open through that. Um, we've seen people get hired through you know some relationship that they had that they didn't know about, um, that they didn't think about in that way, and then we kind of turn them on to like social capital and networks and all that stuff, and then they you know got an opportunity. So um, because we never know where jobs are going to come from, we encourage them to be a Applying to five or seven jobs uh, a week, we ask them to be using their social capital and the social capital of the organization, and then our talent employer partnerships. I would say, you know, the vast majority do get jobs. Sometimes it takes upwards of six months. In our earliest couple of years, we saw about eighty percent get jobs that doubled wow. their incomes, which is really That's exciting. A lot. 
Yeah. yeah. It's been a little bit less um, just in the last couple of months, I think, with all of the tech layoffs. Um, sure. We have seen a lot of our partnerships, um, our partner companies say that they're on hold right now. But we believe that, you know, jobs are, uh, they're not as low, you know, like there's a lot of perception that there's not that many jobs out there, but we are also seeing positive job reports. So, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell anybody like it's easy. I would say if you put the hard work yeah. in, it is absolutely possible. Okay. One more question. Then the last question. Yeah. We have the sort of certain curriculums that you, that you look at and you focus on, on putting on the platform and having the organization, you know, train and skill people up on. What's that process like of choosing another platform, right? Like, for instance, like an Adobe course, right? If people want to learn like design or development or something related to whatever, like how do you go about looking at what the market, I guess, wants and putting a curriculum, like, you know, okay, let's go, let's add Adobe certification, right? Or, Or whatever it might be. But like, how does that, would that, is that often going to happen as you go further? Or you think these sort of core ones that you have now will sort of be what they are for a while? We have seen more and more people come into the Salesforce ecosystem. So I would say, you know, we're not going to do thousands of trainees of that a year just because like we want to make sure that we can match employer demand to climber demand. Um, So so as a result of that, we do diversify our learning tracks. We're launching a digital marketing one with Google in the spring. Right excited about. Um, we're kind of in the middle of exploring now. We, we know that there's a lot of demand for cybersecurity mm-hmm. um, and so I think we're, we're exploring that more forcefully and we're also exploring um, some opportunities in the healthcare space. The CHIPS Act, which is a $52 billion act from the federal government, I think there's going to be a lot of jobs that come along with infrastructure that is beyond sort of like that manual labor of infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That will be in tech, will be in. And so we're kind of um, just really looking at that stuff very closely um, so that we can kind of, you know, see where the demand is going and then where the demand goes. We, we go with, we go with it. Sure. Yeah. Because, um, you know, we want, we want people to get jobs. We kind of look at those reports pretty closely. Last question here, a little bit about the future. And uh, as you look maybe three to five years down the line, what are some of the goals and successes like you and the organization want to achieve? So my big vision for this is that it becomes an alternative to an Ivy League network of people who were earning below the wage and now are earning, you know, um, really great salaries and that they're referring each other into roles and that we see that opportunities open up um, over and over again for communities of color um, so that they can um, advance their careers. And um, right now, you know, we kind of open up some of those doors through a talent and player partnerships and through other and and sometimes them applying colds, like lots of different ways. But in my in my real blue sky world, like they're the ones opening up doors for each other and that thousands and thousands of people become part of this network over time um, and ultimately tens of thousands of people and um, and that we really build a thriving community of which the value system is that people want to help one another succeed. I want to live in a world where the way in which people succeed is not by stepping on each other, but the way in which people succeed is they prop each other up and they help each other thrive. And like that, that's the world I get to live in now. And and that's what makes my life like really joyous and, and the people around me, like not just me, but like our community of climbers. Well, thank you so much, Nitsan. It's been a, an amazing conversation. I got to learn a ton in a space that I'm I'm passionate about. I, another big fan of of Ruben Harris of Career Karma. I'm not sure if you're familiar with what he's building, but like mm-hmm. him and his team are doing some amazing stuff in in the 
in a similar space. And I so as more and more of these companies and organizations pop up, you know, there'll be access to you know social capital, but also skills training, right? Uh, you know, when you're when you can do it on, on your timetable. So this is going to uplift communities and, and economies on a local level, which is super important. And like you said, I mean, double simple, something like doubling your income is transformational on a generational level even. So thanks for all uh, the work you and your team are doing and best of luck for, for the next decade. Thank you so much, Grant. This is great. 